pretend you're not done with me yet. Um, so I'll be giving the message this morning. Uh, and today, I don't know if you've seen in your bulletins, we're going to talk about the wise men. Um, it's an interesting topic, and I wanted to start off with a little exercise, if you will. Picture in your minds for me, if you will, the nativity scene. It may be one that you, you might have seen the one on the desk as you came in, the welcome desk there. Maybe it's one you put out in your houses. We've got a, a figurine set that we put out for Christmas. Maybe it's one, my mom has a big wooden one that she shines out uh, on, the, on the lawn during Christmas. Whatever that looks like, kind of get that image in your mind. And uh, when you're picturing that, there's a, there's a few things that are probably common to all of them. Probably seeing Jesus, maybe on a bed of straw in the manger. Mary and Joseph are probably there. Uh, you may see the shepherds and some of the animals. The star may be above it. And then the wise men are there with their gifts, right? That's a pretty typical nativity scene. But I think if we all kind of brought in a picture or brought in our nativity sets, if we went and looked at them, we'd probably notice that there's some similarities and there's quite a bit of differences among all of them, especially when it comes to the wise men. And to illustrate this, I went out and I grabbed some paintings, some famous paintings and pictures of the nativity set over the years, and I, I brought them here. And so I want you to focus on the differences and similarities in the wise men in these. John's going to go through a couple of these pictures. So just kind of try to take a look. Just slow it down just a second so they can see them. That's good. <laughs> just kind of notice the differences and similarities you see in each one of these, right? How they look, the appearance dress, age, everything's a little bit different. Now, if you stop right there, I mean, how eloquent, right? I mean, these, like, if, when you look at this, I, truly the wisest of men, right? I came across this one and I thought to myself, now I understand why they call them wise men, right? I get it. I mean, this is, whew. That's impressive. You can go to the next one. <laughs> All right. So it's a little bit funny, right? But uh, <laughs> when we look at that, there's a lot of variance in how the wise men are depicted. There's a lot of differences. There's differences in age. There's differences in race and ethnicity. There's differences in how they're dressed. Um, there's differences. Some of them have crowns. Some of them don't. Facial hair and not, right? There's... There's a lot of differences in how they're depicted. And I think it's for good reason. Because we don't really know a whole lot about the wise men. Now we know about wise men in general. Um, we know from scripture, we've got in, in uh, Daniel and we've got in Esther, wise men, accounts of wise men. And we know from that that they, they came from the east, that's the general region. We know that they reported or had duties to rulers or kings in which they were uh, scholars they would answer questions. Um, they would interpret things of the times or dreams. So we have some general understanding from our Bibles of what wise men were. Outside sources, Roman and Jewish historians, we know a little bit more. We know that they kind of, uh, they had a Persian origin. We know that they came by a lot of different careers or names. They were magicians, enchanters, um, scholars, astrologers, people that studied the stars and the skies. They even had ties to political uh, things and maybe even uh, as kings or princes. So we get a good picture in general of what wise men are, who wise men are. But when it comes to this story, 
about in, in our scripture that we're going to read and these wise men that came to see Christ, I think if we're honest with ourselves, what we really know about them is something that Teresa was talking about. It's a lot of folklore, folk theology. I think most of our images of the wise men is probably based on the pictures we've seen or the, the sets that we put out, maybe even the song, right? We Three Kings. That's probably where we get a lot of this stuff. Um, and I want to show you, you know, we're going to read through this account of the wise men to see how much we actually know about them. So in Matthew, we're uh, in chapter 2, verse 1 here, and I'm going to read through the account. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it's written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That's the account we have of the wise men. And we see from that, we know just a few things. We know they were wise men. They came from the east. They brought gifts. And they came on this journey to find and worship Christ. Those are the details we have. We actually don't know if they were kings. We don't know how many there were, if there was three or not. Odds are, with a long journey ahead of them, they probably had a whole entourage they traveled with whole caravan of people. We don't know the region they come from, how old they were. There's a lot of details we don't know. And I think that's intentional. I think it's intentional by the author here that we don't have details because I believe that we're not supposed to learn a lesson about the wise men themselves. That's not why they're here. We're supposed to learn about their journey. And what I hope today is to, to uh, bring to light three aspects of their journey that we can learn from. The first is something about faith, and then a lesson about worship, and finally, what it looks like when you encounter Christ. So uh, let me pray to open this up. Father, we, uh, <clears throat> we come to you this morning um, just opening ourselves, opening our hearts to you, Lord. Uh, it was just an amazing thing to hear the children worshiping this morning hearing those songs and those words and understanding and believing the truth that, that you are here, that you are God with us. We're so thankful for that, Lord. We're so thankful we're able to celebrate this season. Lord, I ask that this message isn't something that comes from me or any preparation that's been made, that the words that come forth is just your words, Lord. It's your message that's heard. And I pray that, that uh, those out there that hear it hear your words and, and your intent and truth in this, Lord. I ask these things in your name. Amen. So the lessons, the first is a lesson of faith. 
the journey of the wise men was a journey of faith. I think as Christians, good church-going people, if we hear somebody say it's a journey of faith, I think we probably nod our heads like we understand what that means. But do we understand what a journey of faith is? Do we understand what faith is? Yeah, I think we use it in a lot of different contexts, a lot of different ways. We may say that, oh, I have faith in that. Or I'm doing something on faith. We might put characteristics to it and say, well, my faith is strong. Or I'm being strengthened in my faith. Right? You may have people ask you, what is your faith? Faith is used in a lot of different contexts. It's used in a lot of different ways. And it's because not all faith is the same. And yet, we teach at this church that faith is eternally important. We teach a biblical concept that salvation is by faith alone. It's this concept that the reformers back in the 1500s helped articulate for us. And they understood when they came forth and said that salvation is by faith alone, that they better make sure that people understand what faith they're talking about. And so we have these three aspects to understand faith. You have, so there's three aspects to understand faith. The first aspect is faith that comes from knowledge or content. It's faith that you know something about someone or something. The second is a faith that comes by conviction. And what that means is that you are convicted or you believe that what you know is true. And the third aspect of faith is faith that comes through personal trust or reliance upon something. Those are the three aspects of faith. And I love the story of the wise men because I think through their journey, we get to see each of these aspects of faith. And I hope that in looking at these, you can see how these three aspects of faith in their journey is similar to the journey all of us go when we try to find or come in contact with Christ. So the first aspect is knowledge, faith that comes by knowledge. We see early in the story that, that the wise men had this. They came when they talked to Herod. They said they were looking for he who was going to be born king of the Jews. They knew of one who was going to be born king of the Jews. They knew of the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. They had a knowledge of faith. Now, whether this knowledge came from prophecies that they were aware of, uh, interpretation of Daniel's writings, whatever it may be, the source isn't important. What's important is that they had faith that came through knowledge. They knew of the coming Messiah or Christ. They had a faith that came by knowledge. The second is conviction, which is whether you believe what you know is true. So they knew about this coming Messiah, but did they believe that that prophecies and what they knew about him was true? Well, we see conviction in their story as well. You see, they saw the star, they saw the sign, and they took it as a sign that, yes, not only was the Messiah going to come, but it's true, he is here. He has come. They believed what they knew was true. They took their conviction to another level, another step, in that not only were they convicted that it was true, that there was going to be a Messiah coming and that he was here, but they set out on a journey to find him. They were convicted by what they believed. They had a faith of conviction and that what they knew they believed to be true. And then we come to the last point, the last aspect of faith, which is this idea of personal trust or reliance. It's this concept of faith where are you willing to give yourself up for what you believe to be true? And we see this in their journey. This aspect of faith comes into play at the end of their journey. 
They've left their homelands. They've gone through. They've talked to Herod. They've found the location of the child in Bethlehem. They've followed the star. They've gotten to the house, right? That's another piece of folklore. Oftentimes we see in our manger scene that the baby's sitting there with the wise men. But our scripture tells us that it, the baby, Jesus, was probably 12 to 24 months old. They had taken up residence in Bethlehem. They get to the house, cross the threshold, and they're encountered with the Christ sitting on his mother's lap. And that's the moment where they have this opportunity to let themselves go and trust in Christ. They come in contact with, they, they encounter Jesus right there. This, this Christ that they knew about, that they believed was true, that they believed had come, they've now come face to face with him, encountered him, and they've got a choice. Are they going to give themselves up for him bow down and worship the Christ or not. And we see what happens in our scriptures. This journey of the wise men shows us each aspect of faith. It shows us the faith that comes by knowledge, the faith that comes through conviction, whether we believe what we know or not. And it shows us the final aspect. Are you willing to give yourself up for what you know and believe? And I think this journey of the wise men, this illustration, it's a little bit unique, right? This is, this is a journey of wise men. We don't know much about. They're doing all this. But it's a journey that all Christians take. It's a journey we all take with Christ, to find Christ. It's a journey that is discussed in Scripture. And each one of these aspects of faith is required. Paul tells us in Romans 10 that he, he works through these three aspects as well. He tells us that how can you call on the Lord if you don't believe and how can you believe if you don't know? You see, in order to have this saving faith, this faith for salvation, you have to first believe in Jesus. And to believe in Jesus, you have to know him as well. And so salvation requires each of these three aspects of faith. But not each of the three aspects of faith is what will get salvation. You see, there's a lot of folks out there that know of Jesus. They have a faith that's through knowledge. That anybody out there can pick up their Bible and read about Jesus and know of Christ. But that's not a faith of salvation. Then there's a lot of folks out there that read the scriptures. They know of Christ. They know that he came to earth. They know that he is God's son. They believe it. They know that he lived with us, suffered, and died on a cross, bled for our sins. They believe that he died for our sins. They read that he was resurrected, and they believe that he was resurrected. But that moment at which you know about Jesus, you believe all of it, and you have that choice to make, are you now willing to give up your life for him, for the one you know about and believe? Not everybody makes that choice. That choice when you come through the threshold of the house and you encounter Christ like the wise men did. Not everybody makes that choice, that final aspect of faith. And so these are the three aspects of faith, and I, I love the journey of the wise men because we get to see each of them played out. And I think if you look back in your walk with Christ or your journey to Christ and what salvation looks like, you'll see each one of these. And maybe as you reflect, you, you have not experienced each one of these. And it's something to look at. What do you understand about faith? Do you know Jesus? Do you believe what you know is true? And have you given your life up for him? Have you given yourselves up and been able to worship him like the wise men did?
The journey of the wise men was a journey of faith that I hope we all can learn from. But there's a second aspect that we learn from here. They went on this journey, this journey of faith, and they went to find the Christ, but why did they go to find him? To worship him. We can learn a big lesson about worship from the wise men as well. Worship is kind of like faith, I think, in that when we say the word, we all have a picture of what worship is. At this church, right, we just experienced worship. We came in here, we had a worship service. We have a worship team, a worship pastor, a leader. We sing songs. That's what worship looks like. But worship is so much bigger than that. We don't just worship Jesus on Sunday mornings with our singing. We worship in our giving. We worship in our serving. We worship in how we raise our families. We worship in our prayer time. Worship is so much larger. And I think the lesson of the wise men isn't to tell us, oh, well, this is the specific ways you should worship. But they teach us what is required or what we might have to do to worship Christ. And there's a couple things. The first is a lesson of sacrifice. I think from the wise men's story, we can learn that worship actually requires sacrifice. Maybe that's something you haven't thought about before. Maybe you come into Sunday mornings and it just feels natural as part of it. But we learn that worship requires sacrifice. These guys left their hometown. They were wise men. They committed to a belief that this Christ was coming. They weren't Jews. And so they had to sacrifice their reputation in saying that, yes, we believe this is true. They went on a journey following a star. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how long it was going to take. They didn't know what trials they would face. They put themselves, they sacrificed their bodies, their well-being, their emotions to go on this journey to worship Christ. When they got to the threshold, when they entered that house and had to choose whether or not they were going to worship Jesus, they had to sacrifice their own beliefs and what they stood for, their past lives, in order to worship him. Because worship requires sacrifice. If you haven't thought about that before, let's take a moment to think about what sacrifice looks like for each of us. For some of you, sacrifice to worship Jesus may just be getting up in the morning and coming to church. Just getting out of bed and sacrificing your time and your comforts may be the sacrifice that's required to worship Jesus. For some of us, it's we're sitting in these seats and we get the tug or the call of the Holy Spirit to join in the singing or to stand or to raise your hands or to clap along. And the sacrifice might be saying, I'm willing to put myself down and follow what the Lord's doing. I'm willing to sacrifice what other people might look or hear or think about me and worship Christ. Putting ourselves down so he can be the highest priority. For others of us, it's, it's in the sacrifices in giving. When you feel you can't give or you don't want to give or it's difficult. And it's the sacrifice that's saying, yes, Jesus, you've called me to this and you're worthy. It's the same in serving and in raising our families for Christ. There's sacrifice involved in worshiping Jesus. And the question you should be asking yourself today is, are you sacrificing yourself, your comforts, what you believe to worship Jesus because he's worthy. Another aspect of worship we can learn from them is that worship should be done boldly, right? Boldly worship Christ. We see the boldness of the wise men when they encounter Herod. So these wise men, they're on this journey and they're looking for the Christ and they come to Herod, to his palace, his castle, his home, however we, we see this depicted. 
he comes in and they ask for the location of he who's been born king of the Jews. And it may not seem like a bold statement originally to you, but let's put some historical context on this. Herod is a king over this region. Not only is Herod a king over this region, but the people in this region are Jews. And eventually he gets an official title that he is a king of the Jews. So you have wise men coming from the east, coming to the place where Herod lives and saying, we are here looking for the king of the Jews to worship him. Oh, and by the way, it's not you. Oh, and by the way, we're not here to worship you. That takes boldness. That takes a lot of boldness to say, we're here looking for the one and we're not going to worship you. They put themselves in danger again. And it's because worshiping in Jesus does require boldness. In our context today, in our social and cultural context today, it requires more boldness than ever, I think. You see, to worship the name of Jesus amongst what everything else in society says requires boldness. Society would tell us today that what we should actually be worshiping is materialism. Or we should be worshiping movies or music. Maybe our educational system, politics, social media. There's all these things that society says, if you're going to worship, you should worship at the feet of this. And today, to step forward and say, no, I'm not going to worship that. I'm going to worship the name of Jesus Christ takes boldness. And it's risky. Because if you're going to go forward and say you're going you're to worship in the name of Jesus Christ, people might look at you different. People might alienate you. Your friends and your family even might, might start distancing themselves from you. Your social circles might change. People have a different opinion. But it takes boldness to stand up and say, no, all of that, everything else takes a back seat because the only one who's worthy to be worshipped is Jesus Christ. Because worshipping Jesus requires boldness. There's a final aspect of this worship, and that worship should be done without expectation. This one may be a little more difficult to get from their story, but I think we see it if we walk through this. And I don't mean that it should be done without expectation and that we shouldn't expect Jesus to show up. We expect Jesus to show up. When we come forward, open our hearts up and, to worship Christ, he tells us he's going to show up, and we expect that. But there's a different kind of expectation. The journey of the wise men was this journey they went on. When they got to the house, before they bowed down and worshiped Jesus, they could have waited to be thanked for their journey or asked how difficult it was or invited or all of these things. They could have presented their gifts first and waited to worship to see what kind of response they got and then based their worship on that. But we see from the story that they didn't do any of these things. What we see from the story is that when they entered the house, when they walked in and saw the child on Mary's lap, they fell down and worshipped him. Because worship should be done without expectation. What does that look like for us today? Well, I think for us today, worship without expectation takes on a lot of different things. Worship without expectation is, may mean you standing not because you are going to stand and think that in your standing, God's going to come and meet some needs differently. It's worshiping in your standing because he's worthy of it. It's worshiping in your singing, not because if you sing louder or better, you're going to get something in return. It's singing louder and better because you can't hold back your praises for God. 
it, it's giving. Not because in your gift you're hoping that he'll return twofold or threefold and you really need something from God. And so you're going to give with expectation of a return. It's giving because he's worthy of the gift. We need to worship God without expectation. I heard a story recently from two different guys. Um, it was interesting at the same time, oddly enough, that they said they really appreciated worship in this church when they started coming here because we have a freedom to worship. You'll see people standing and sitting, clapping, raising hands, all different methods of worship. And they appreciated that because when they came here, they, they, they didn't know what to do. They, they stayed seated in their seat and they felt freedom in that. They didn't stand because they didn't want people to see them. They were a little taller and they, they didn't want, you know, people looking at them. They didn't sing really loud because, well, they couldn't sing really well and they didn't want people hearing that. They, they held back emotions that were drawing them in in the service because they didn't want people looking at him, seeing him cry, seeing the emotions coming out. They held these things back and they liked the freedom we had here because they didn't have to do those things. But then they got this turn and this understanding that, that what was happening was they were placing themselves as a higher priority. They were placing themselves in worship as a higher priority than God. They were placing their concern over what people would think over the worship that he had due. We're gonna, I'm going to invite the team to come back up, if you will. We're going to uh, we're gonna have some worship here at the end. I've got one more point about the wise men, but in these last songs, I'd like you to think to yourself, from what we understand about the wise men, where are you in your journey of faith? Do you know Jesus? Do you believe what you know about Jesus to be true? And have you put yourself down for him? Have you given yourself up for him? Do you have trust in him? And if you know about Jesus and you believe it to be true, is he your highest priority in worship? When you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on you to worship, whether it's to stand or sit or raise your hands or whatever, are you willing to sacrifice yourself so that Jesus can have the praise? and the glory that he deserves. Is Jesus your highest priority in worship? The king that's come to us that we celebrate at Christmas in his birth, is he worthy of your worship? No matter what people think or hear, say, I can't sing, and I'm up there, I'm in the front seat singing as loud as I can, mostly because I'm hoping the rest of you can't hear me. But I, I'm going for it, because Christ is worth it, guys. The last point from the wise men that I want, want to bring up is something that whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, I think everyone needs to hear. The wise men went on a journey to find Jesus. They went on this long journey. We don't know exactly where or what it was or what trials or anything, but what they found Christ. They entered this house and they found Jesus sitting there. And when they encountered him, they fell down and worshiped. And after they were done worshiping, they were told that they couldn't go back another way. They couldn't go back the way they came. And whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, you need to hear this. When you encounter Christ, you can't go back the way you came. Because a new way has been made for us. Jesus came to this earth. He was born. He lived, suffered, died, bled on the cross for you and rose again so that a new way could be made. And when you encounter Jesus Christ whether it's in worship, wherever that is that you find Jesus, you can't go back to that old life. The old life is gone and a new life is made. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to sing some songs here, guys.
And I'd ask you, just think about where you are in your worship, in your faith of Jesus Christ. Does he have the highest priority in your life? And is he worthy of that worship and praise?